Well, this morning I want to uh, preach the eighth message in this year-long series on contending for the faith. Uh, Back at the beginning of the year, I just felt like what we needed to do was take one Sunday out of each month and deal with 12 doctrines that I believe were, are important uh, to the Christian faith and to us as a church. I, I recognize that with some of these doctrines, there are churches who believe a little bit differently than we do. Uh, the one essential, I believe, that we must gather around are some of the essentials that we dealt with at the beginning of the year, uh, that we as, as a body, as the worldwide body of Christ, we have to gather around is the elevation of the Word of God as being the inspired Word of God, the infallible inspired Word of the Lord. We talked first about the inspired Word of God. Uh, And then we moved on to the fact about who is God. We have to come to an agreement if we believe the Bible is the Word of God, then we must agree on what the Bible says about who God is. Then also, what does it say about His Son, Jesus? Who is Jesus? We talked about the fact that He is the Son of the living God and that He is deity. He is not just some good prophet. But in fact, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is God who has come in human form. And so we thank God for that. And a number of these doctrines that we have talked about are essential. Salvation by faith alone. Uh, It is absolutely essential that we know and understand that we cannot earn our salvation by what we do. Being good whatever that means according to human standards, is not in any way going to get you into heaven. Not by the skin of your teeth and not by big wide open doors. It is by faith in what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for us already. It is by faith. But today I want to talk to you about a particular doctrine that I understand throughout the entire church there is a little bit of division and a departure. And by the end of this message, you will know where I believe I stand and where I believe as a church we need to stand. And it is contending for the faith and what I believe is so essential in Scripture is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We talked about the Holy Spirit last month. We talked about who the Holy Spirit was. And how he will work, what some of the things that he will do. But then we get into this area of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And depending on what denomination you belong to. And by the way, can I just mention this? That denominations as such, as they live, and as they grow and they become big and huge, they are man-made. Okay? I, I really believe that in areas where we have divided in doctrine in many ways, God, when we get to heaven, is going to straighten us all out. But I'm going for what I see in Scripture, and I believe that that is what we must do. Now, there are those who will say the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that was only for the apostles and for that early New Testament church. It's not intended for us today. 
not intended for us. In fact, it came to cease. And so we can kind of look back at that and we can say that was good and it was important for the establishment of the church, but it's not necessary for us today. There are those who would say that. I'm not one of them. There are those who would say that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is only something that occurs at salvation. I, a number of years ago, was on my way to my former employer and, and was listening to somebody whom I respect greatly, and I still listen to his, his ministry. I knew where he was coming from and know where he comes from in his doctrine, but I remember him saying on the radio that morning, when you get saved, you've got all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get. And I remember very quietly in my heart listening to him and saying, I disagree with you, my brother. I absolutely disagree with you. The Bible seems to indicate that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is something that occurred in the New Testament church at the time of the apostles and nowhere do we read in Scripture that it came to an end. There is nowhere in the Bible that you can find where God says this is only for the New Testament apostles, that New Testament church, in the establishment of the church, but now at a certain point in history, I'm going to cease with it. It's not going to be necessary. You don't find that anywhere in the book of Acts. You don't find that through the New Testament. What you find is, you find as you look at the book of Acts, you will also find that it is an experience that is subsequent to salvation. Now, there are certainly times where people get saved, and at that moment, in that moment, they experience this wonderful Holy Spirit baptism. Now, you say if a person gets saved, do they have the Holy Spirit? Absolutely they do. But they have not yet experienced something that is subsequent to salvation, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So, Pastor, you're going to pull on our heartstrings and tug at our emotions here today. And you're trying to make this church be a more of an emotional kind of, kind of church. Look, when it all comes down to it, did not God give us emotions? I'm amazed at how many churches say we come into a building. We can't act a certain way in the, in the body of Christ. No, we can't act that way. We'd say everything's got to be quiet and prim and proper. And it's, you know, don't let anybody get out of hand because, you know, it's going to draw attention to them. It's going to take away of, from what's going on in the meeting. But in the end, did not God give us emotions? And frankly, when we come to Christ, doesn't he now want to touch those emotions? We are emotional beings. I'm getting a little emotional myself right now. We are emotional. God wants to touch your emotions. He doesn't want a church service to just come in and be like a, like a funeral home. Like a funeral service, brothers and sisters. He is alive. We ought to be celebrating. We ought to be joyful over the fact that he lives within us. So if you get a little emotional... I don't get too worried about that or afraid of that. That's all right. The question that I want to ask, and really this is really what it's going to come down to, a number of questions that I want to deal with. Is there such a thing as the baptism in the Holy Spirit? From Scripture, do we see it? Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. And I believe there is because it is proclaimed in Scripture. 
And I believe that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential for our Christian life. Not so that you will speak in tongues. I believe in that. I believe that that is also found in the Scripture. That's not why the Spirit came. For too long, and I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and, and, and we harped on speaking in tongues so much that the baptism in the Holy Spirit became more about speaking in other tongues than it did about power for service. And I'm getting ahead of myself, way ahead of myself. That's why the Holy Spirit came. He came to empower us for Christian service. More so, and this is what the baptism is for, more so than if you had not experienced this Holy Spirit baptism. But is there a Holy Spirit baptism in store? I believe there is. One, because it was proclaimed by John the Baptist. Listen to what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. Now listen to this. He, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. It's an interesting thing. I find that when John and John, obviously the the writers of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record this event and record the statement that is made by John. It can also be found in Mark chapter 1 and verse 8. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. We understand that as John is teaching, I find it interesting that in Matthew chapter 3 verse 11, that of all the symbols of the Holy Spirit that we find in the New Testament, that he uses the symbol of fire associated with the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because within your spirit there is the fire of God that will come and help you to go beyond yourself. You know when you get fired up about something? You know, you, you, I, I realize that even the mildest among us get fired up from time to time. Those of you who have personalities that are, you know, a little more reserved than others. And you don't get upset about too much. You don't get happy about too much. You don't get fired up about too much. But the Holy Spirit comes and causes you to have a fire within your soul so that you can begin to do the work of the Lord the way that God designed for you to do it. He needs, we need the fire. He says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So when the Holy Spirit comes, there's going to be something happen on the inside of you that is going to fire you up about God, about who he is, about his word, about what he's done for you. You're going to have a story to tell. And sometimes I wonder if it's not because we sit back and we don't receive a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit the way that we need to, that we are just more reserved than we ought to be be as Christians. Look, many of you get fired up about the Cubs. I don't know why. You get fired about the Sox. I don't know why either. I get fired up about my Red Sox because they're the Red Sox. And I'm a New Englander through and through. But I gotta tell you, we get fired up about everything else. But when it comes to the Lord, 
You know, it's an, it's an amazing thing. We, we sit back and we say, well, I'm waiting for that golden opportunity to witness to somebody. You know, if you're waiting for that golden opportunity to witness to somebody, it just might never happen. Sometimes it's going to take, like, like Jeremiah said, it's like a fire shut up in my bones. He said, I can't hold it in. It might be one of those occasions where you seize the opportunity. John the Baptist declared that there was a baptism with the Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus himself, turn over to uh, the book of Acts chapter 1. Jesus himself declared it as well. Jesus said this. He said, for John baptized with water but in a few days you will be baptized with the holy spirit john acts chapter 1 verse 5 for john baptized with water but in a few days you will be baptized with the holy spirit and i recognize there are those who will say but yes you know he was talking only to the disciples at that point remember he was only talking to his followers. Yes, he was. But I don't find anywhere in the New Testament and anywhere in Scripture where he says, now listen, this is only going to be for my immediate disciples or the followers that followed after me and, and you know, around my ministry and the 120 that we see gathered in Acts chapter 1 and, and those and then the, uh, maybe a few others as well in, you know, in the Gentile world, but that's it. You don't find it ever coming to an end. So Jesus is saying here, he says, in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, that we look at that and we say, okay, I, I, that's there. Is this for me? And I'm here to let you know, yes, it is absolutely for you. You and I need to reach out for more and more of what God has for us. A baptism in the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters, is how we as a church will not survive. It is how we will thrive. It is how we will move forward. Look, you might be afraid. I'm afraid of what's going to happen if things get a little too crazy. Are people going to swing from the lights? You know, are they going to bounce off the walls? Is there going to be all kinds of nonsense? Listen, when the Holy Spirit does things. He does things decently and in order. But there are times where the human element sometimes gets in the way and stops what God wants to do because we're a little afraid that, you know, the emotions might get out of control. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to, I believe with all my heart that as a church, we need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. We need the baptism. You might say, well, I have never experienced this before. I'm here to let you know you can. That it's not something you don't have to go through life wondering, is this for me or is it not? Is it so? And, and we, many times, we don't even know what to pray for. You know what? The disciples didn't even know what was coming. They had no idea. They had no idea what the effects and what was going to take place in their lives when the baptism of the Holy Spirit came. They didn't know. So if you didn't know, don't worry about it. They didn't know either. Let's just believe God for his grace and believe that there are good things in store. So what is the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Well, 
First, let me just mention, there are a number of things that we could mention that it is not, but I want to mention one thing because this is a common teaching that it is essentially the same thing as the new birth. And that is not necessarily the case. That it's the same thing as his regenerating work in your life. And, and from all appearances in Scripture, as we look into the Bible, in, in other Scriptures we're going to read in just a few moments, we see that the baptism of the Spirit is different from the regenerating work of the Spirit as He comes to reside in your life. He wants to make you new. And that can only be done through the Holy Spirit. That can only be done at the time of salvation. As He starts that new birth and that new life, in you that is done through the Holy Spirit. No one can come to Christ except the Spirit draw them. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is active in your coming to Christ. The Holy Spirit is active in that new birth experience in Christ. But then the Holy Spirit desires to be active in a new and a powerful way through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is something that is subsequent to salvation. In other words, it happens after salvation. An unrepentant person cannot experience the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It has to be that there is repentance. Now, what does repentance look like? Well, oftentimes we think it means somebody came to the altar and gave their life to Christ. Then we see that they repented. That does not, does not a repentance make. Not in any way. People can come to the altar all they want, but in their hearts they can walk out, run right back into the sin that they were involved in before. Repentance is a heart matter between that individual and God. And if that person in their heart turns to God away from sin, they are open and eligible for the baptism in the Holy Spirit to occur in their lives. So it is not the new birth experience. Some teach that. They believe it's one and the same. We don't find that in the book of Acts, and that's where we're going to go in just a few moments. But how do we know this from Scripture? Well, good question. We know this because, first of all, the apostles themselves were converted before the day of Pentecost. They were believers, folks. When they walked into that upper room on that day where the Holy Spirit was poured out, they were believers. Now, some will make a leap and say, well, they weren't believers in the full sense of the word. I don't know where you find that. I don't know how you can jump to that conclusion. That's a big, big leap, and it's an assumption to say that. We have many cases in the Bible. Luke chapter 10. Turn over to Luke chapter 10 and verse 20. Luke chapter 10 and verse 20. The apostles were converted under the ministry of Jesus. Let's just see what the scripture says. Listen to the words of Jesus. He says this. However, and this is when the apostles, he had given them power and authority. They went out. They, they, you know, they laid hands on people. The sick recovered. Evil spirits were cast out. There was just an amazing things done. Under, under the ministry that Jesus had given to them as he had sent them out two by two, he had sent 70 of them out, not just 12. And they came back, they were rejoicing. They said, man, 
Even evil spirits are subject to us. Jesus, woo, power. Jesus says this. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names not are going to be written in heaven, but that your names are written in heaven. This is before the Holy Spirit was poured out. This is before Acts chapter 2, folks. Jesus said about those guys who came back, your names are written in heaven. Let me turn to one more verse of Scripture. Let's turn over to John chapter 15 and verse 3. John 15 and verse 3. And then we're going to go over to the book of Acts. John 15 and verse 3. He says this. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now, how is it possible that they would already be clean because of the word Jesus spoke? Because they received the word by faith. How are we saved? By faith. Yes, the cross had not happened yet. It was going to. But they were looking forward to what it was that Jesus would do, though they weren't fully comprehending of all that was going to take place. They still didn't quite get it yet until the Holy Spirit was poured out. And until that took place, they didn't quite get the whole crucifixion and resurrection, even though Jesus told them about it. He says, he declares about his disciples You are already clean. This is before the cross. This is before the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is before all of that took place. You're already clean. Now turn over in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Let's go over to the book of Acts chapter 8. And I want to read about the Samaritans. Now the Holy Spirit poured out. Philip, one of the disciples, is now on his way to Samaria, and there's going to be a great revival that's going to take place. The Bible says this, starting at verse 5, it says, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many And many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now jump down to verse 12. Verse 12 says this, But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So we have salvation that has occurred under the ministry of Philip. Now go down to verses 14 through 17. Now the Bible says this, when the the apostles in Jerusalem heard uh, heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So we have an event here that is subsequent to their salvation. They believed the word that was preached by Philip. Philip went down, 
preached the word of the Lord. They believed it. They followed the Lord in baptism, the word of the Lord. They were baptized. They were in the kingdom. But now Peter and John come. God had other purposes and plans for Philip to go and deal with one man, pick him up out of a great revival, and go and minister to one man, the Ethiopian, coming up and and into the land. But Peter and John are here, and now they're praying for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. And that's exactly what took place. Now, there are other places in Scripture, and we can, we can look at we can actually refer to just one chapter over, right here. We're right there. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, this is Saul's conversion, who later became known as Paul. Saul's conversion. The Bible says this. It says, <coughs> Meanwhile, was Saul, <coughs> verse 1, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for letters from, uh, to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, those who were followers of Christ, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now, Saul is going to Damascus. He's on his way there. And I believe most of us are familiar with the story But it goes on and says, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Now, In that part of this passage and the remaining couple of verses that we have there, we have Saul's conversion to Christ. He immediately gets up. He obeys the Lord. He believes that what he has just seen, this bright light and the voice speaking to him was Jesus. And at that moment, Saul is converted. Saul is, why do we call it the Damascus Road conversion if it took place three days later, which some believe. But three days later, jump down to verses 17 through 19. Then Ananias, God spoke to this man by the name of Ananias to go lay hands on this man Saul. Now Ananias knew who he was. He knew what Saul was about, what he was trying to do. And Ananias had to have a whole lot of the Holy Spirit in him to agree to go to pray for a man who wanted to throw him in prison. And he does. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Now, we talk about that, we look at that and we say, okay, this is something that is subsequent to salvation. Why is it not so clear to so many people that this can be had in our lives? And the only thing that I can say is, is that in many cases, churches are afraid of what could occur. I realize that there are abuses all in the name of the Holy Spirit. 
that there are many things that occur in churches today that are not God. And what has happened, and it's so dangerous, is that we have pushed aside the real. We've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. We've pushed aside what is real because we don't want to be associated with a group that deals in extremes. And brothers and sisters, if God is going to come and bring a Holy Spirit baptism in your life, it's not so that you can walk out of this building saying, I felt such goosebumps all up and down my spine. Oh, wasn't that great? There were people rolling on the floor. There was all kinds of stuff that was going on in church. The Holy Spirit coming into your life is not about these meetings. It's about the meeting that you have on the street with the drug addict and the alcoholic, the person in your building who doesn't know what to do in life, the person in your building who is absolutely lost. The Holy Spirit is so that you will have power to minister to others. We need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the baptism with the Holy Spirit is a definite experience. I've said this already, subsequent to salvation, whereby the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, comes upon the believer to anoint you and energize you for special service. Brothers and sisters, I realize we can get into this lackadaisical kind of, kind of a, a, an attitude where we say, you know, I just want to come to church. I want to worship a little bit. I want to hear the word of the Lord, and I want to go home, and I don't want to have to worry about anything else. No, 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 that's not, that's not what this is all about, folks. This isn't about you coming and being comfortable. It's about you and I pressing in for more and more of all that God has for us. Listen, if he has more for us, then why don't we just reach out and say, Lord, I want to take hold of everything, everything that you have for me. Because when you receive that Holy Spirit baptism, your life will be different. Your attitude will be different. Your speech will be different. The places you go will be different. And the people that you talk to, they will be different because there is a power in your life that can have an effect upon them and change them for all of eternity. We need a Holy Spirit baptism. It is the promise of the Father. Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. I read such a good, and just reading about on this subject recently, read such a good passage. Years ago, we used to have waiting services. You know, in the King James, it says tarry in Jerusalem. They'd have tarrying services. You know, I, you know, the disciples tarried, but any time after that, they didn't have to wait for anything to occur. I mean, it just, you know, the Holy Spirit, he came down and he baptized them anew and afresh in Cornelius' house. They didn't have to tarry. In fact, Peter couldn't even finish his sermon before the Holy Spirit was poured out. And something occurred in Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10. But I see, what I do see is the Holy Spirit being poured out associated with prayer. And this is why it's so important for us to pray, not only as a church, as a body of believers, it's important for us to pray on a regular basis so we can, we can just 
be in the presence of the Lord and he can come and, and do what it is that he desires to do. Pour out his spirit anew and afresh. Prayer meetings, brothers and sisters, is where it happens. Prayer meetings is where the Holy Spirit is going to occur. And maybe that's why we're afraid to come to prayer meetings sometime because we're afraid of what God might begin to do in our lives if we just call upon the name of the Lord and let God come into the building. That was free. You didn't have to pay for that one. Acts chapter 1 and verse 4, you don't need to turn there, but listen to what it says. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. The gift my father promised. He desired for his disciples to receive this gift. And I believe that the desire of Jesus is no less for you and me today. It didn't end in the book of Acts, folks. When Acts chapter 28 comes to a close, the New Testament church didn't end. The New Testament church did not come to a close. The age of the Holy Spirit did not end. The Holy Spirit desires to fill you anew and afresh. If you've received the Spirit, the baptism in the Spirit before, it's, it's not a one-time experience, folks. You can keep plugging in. You know, it's kind of like your car. Every now and then you run out of gas. you got to get gas in your car. you got to plug in to the source to get something else, to get something fresh, to keep you moving forward. It's the same thing with us. It's not because God went away anywhere and that he has pulled back anything. It's from time to time our spirits dry out. From time to time we get lazy. We get comfortable. And it's time for us to plug back into the source and let the spirit of God come into our lives. Now let me deal with a hot button. How do you know you've received the baptism with the Holy Spirit? Unfortunately, we get a great deal of our theology these days from radio and television. We've heard every preacher under the book, and we have heard every varying opinion. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and then we're going to go over to Acts chapter 10, and man, do I have to hurry. Well, I don't have to. We started an hour earlier, didn't we? <laughs> Take my time. Thank you. I just might. Acts chapter 2. Acts 2. Thank you, brother. How do you know? How do you know? As I mentioned before, I, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. I consider myself, if you want to slap a label on me, I'll take the label. But I don't like labels. I think labels are too confining. But I believe that the Bible talks about and there are a number of places that we're going to read about. And that it's even, even some non-Pentecostal theologians have come to a conclusion about one of the passages that we read in Acts 8, where the Holy Spirit was poured out. Tongues is not mentioned as part of that. But what the sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, at least in the book of Acts, seems to be, starting with Acts chapter 2, looking at verse 4. It says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. Now, that other tongues is other languages. It is a spirit enabled them. Let me just stop right there before we go to Acts chapter 10 
and then Acts 19 for a moment. Oftentimes you will hear people talk about this modern day, the idea of tongues, and I've heard non, non-believing people, or, or I don't want to say non-believers, non-believers in the idea of tongues, talk about tongues being spoken in so many charismatic and Pentecostal churches all over the place as if it is some kind of gibberish. They'll use that to describe it. And I shudder anytime anybody says that because I begin to think, how dare we, how dare we label something that we don't fully comprehend? How dare we label something that we haven't experienced? It's one thing to label it if you've experienced it and then you go back on it and you're, you're not really sure. It's another thing to label it if you've never ever experienced what God has for you. And they will say and call it some kind of gibberish. It's not a language. It's not, you know, the the tongues. They were languages. Because you read further on, the context of this passage, when when that, that Holy Ghost meeting spilled out onto the streets, the Bible says there were people from every nation hearing the word of the Lord in their native languages. These were languages that they were speaking that were spoken by others. Now, I'm here to let you know that has already occurred then, and it has occurred occurred within the last hundred years. People in, in Holy Spirit meetings, they will hear a message in tongues. They'll be in that meeting. They speak another language, and they'll say, wait a minute, I didn't know that person spoke my language. They don't. They don't know your language. Yes, they did. They were speaking it in that meeting. They don't know your language. You can't communicate with them in that language. But I heard it, and I heard a message from God out of their mouth. God is able and can do that and has done that. You say, what about the tongues that we often hear about? Is it gibberish? The Bible says, and Paul says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels... There is a heavenly language that God gives that is also there to help build you up in your most holy faith. There to communicate with God. You can pray in the Holy Spirit and pray in tongues. And the Lord understands what you're talking about. And listen, before you label it gibberish and some kind of nonsense, be very careful what you are calling something that is 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 what we refer to as tongues, as not tongues, as something that is even, and some will even go to the extreme and say it's of the devil. Brothers and sisters, I, I, you got to be careful what it is that you label of the devil. And I believe with all my heart that God, listen, God can do anything with our tongues if we're yielded to him. He can do anything. Yes, languages, other languages can be spoken and you will never have learned it. It's not that you could carry on a conversation later, but under the power of the Spirit, it will occur. You say, but what about this this idea that, that there are these languages that are spoken that nobody seems to be able to identify? It is a language that is between you and God. It is a Holy Spirit language, something that God enables you to do. And it seems that Acts chapter 2 shows that when the Spirit was poured out, there was this sign, this initial sign that something occurred. Turn over to Acts chapter 10. Let's go over to Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 46. Acts chapter 10, 44 through 46. 
This was at Cornelius' house. Remember, Cornelius is not a Jew. He's not a Hebrew. He is not of the household of Israel. He is a Roman. He is a Gentile. But he has a hunger for God. And it's, he, he draws a, a bunch of people who sent for, for Peter to come. Peter, remember, he, first he wasn't going to go. He said, wait a minute, Lord, you know, I, I'm not so sure about going. He's a Gentile. God gives him that vision of all these unclean animals according to Old Testament law coming down. And God says, go ahead, kill it, eat him. Wait a minute, Lord, I can't do that. I, I, I can't, you know, those are unclean. He says, what I have called clean, don't call unclean. So now he realizes God is speaking to him to go to the Gentiles, to preach at Cornelius' house and to preach the gospel. He's preaching. He's in the middle of it. And the Bible says in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, that is the Jews, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Verse 46, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. The Holy Spirit comes, and now all of a sudden, they hear them speaking in tongues. Now, what were the tongues in Acts chapter 10? It seems more clearly defined in Acts chapter 2, where it possibly was other languages of people who had gathered from all over the world. But in Acts chapter 10, we don't have such a gathering. We don't have people from all over the world. And yet, there are tongues being spoken And it seems as though it was not fully understood by those who heard it, but it was associated with the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Go one more time now to Acts chapter 19. Sorry, Acts chapter 19. Acts 19 and verse 6. Here Paul encounters a group in Ephesus, the city of Ephesus. And on this particular occasion... Let me just give you a little background. Let's start reading at verse, uh, start reading in verse 1. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now, these men are believers, but we haven't heard about the Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism. They replied, Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus, a different baptism, because now Jesus had died on the cross, and so now they could be baptized in the name of Jesus. And now the Bible says when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Now, not only do we have tongues associated with it, but we also have prophecy all of a sudden occurring. This gets into a whole other area we don't have time to deal with in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14 about the gifts of the Spirit. But now the Holy Spirit came on these believers in Ephesus and tongues was associated as part of it. Now, that is how they knew. You say, well, what about the, the passage we read in, in Acts chapter 8 where the Samaritans, they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but there's no indication of tongues. 
But an interesting thing about that, we didn't read the passage. We're not going to take time to read about it. There was a man who was known by the name of Simon the Sorcerer. Simon came to believe in Christ under the ministry of Philip. He came to believe. But all of a sudden, he saw Peter and John lay hands on people there, and they, they prayed and believed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It came upon them, and Simon said, Woo, that's a big one. I want that. How much is it? He wanted to pay for it, remember? He wanted to pay to receive this power. What was it that caused Simon to see that there was something different about these Samaritans? There could only have been some outward show of the baptism of the Holy Spirit occurring, which in my estimation, and there are even those who don't believe that speaking in other tongues is for today, they concur. Brother F.F. F. Bruce and, and some others who are theologians extraordinaire, they have, they have even said there could have been at that point speaking in other tongues that caused Simon to now believe that he could pay to have this kind of a power over him so we see that tongues is associated with the baptism in the holy spirit now that is an initial sign an initial sign an initial evidence i you say well we've we've harped on initial evidences so much and especially in pentecostal denominations we have we have drilled this thing literally into our heads to the point where now it's all about that and it's not all about that what are some of the other evidences of the new experience of the anointing in the life of a believer and the life of somebody who has received the baptism in the holy spirit we're not going to take time to read all of these but if you look at verse, we're in, Acts chapter, uh, we're in Acts chapter 19, aren't we? Go back to Acts chapter 10. Let's go back to Cornelius' house for a minute. And let's just stop there for a minute. And let's see what occurs in verse 46. There's something else that occurs. For they heard, verse 46, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. That is something, brothers and sisters, that ought to continue. I believe it ought to continue that we speak in tongues. If we've received that, that experience, that initial sign, we ought to continue in that. How do we know that? Well, Paul said this to the Corinthian church. He said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all at that day. Paul was older in his ministry. He wasn't just starting out, but Paul was older. And he said, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. It was something that Paul did on a regular basis, seemingly, on that particular occasion and at other occasions as well. There is also, turn over to Acts chapter 2. I want you to see another evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2. I'm really trying to hurry because I realize I'm going and going. I'm like the Energizer Bunny. Oh, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 46. The Bible says this. Every day. Am I in the right verse? I believe I am. Acts chapter 2, 
verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. In other words, there was an overflowing joy in their lives. There was this overflow that began to come out. The Bible says, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. He desires that there would be an overflow within our lives. Not only that, there is a deep burden and a desire to preach and testify about Jesus. Jesus said these words in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. He said this, and you will be, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There is, as a result of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, a lasting desire, an overflowing desire, a burning desire to preach and to witness for Christ. What is the lasting evidence of the baptism? The Holy Spirit centers all things on Christ. Jesus will be glorified and revealed as never before because the Holy Spirit centers all things in Christ. We seek to lift up Christ because the presence of the Holy Spirit within our lives and that fresh baptism helps us to point others to Christ. And even in our meetings, when we praise and we worship, we are worshiping him. There is a deeper passion for souls. So well, I'm not sure I have that. We need to pray for a fresh infilling of the Spirit so we have a deeper passion for souls. There is a greater power to witness. There is a new power in and a spirit of prayer. We'll pray as never before. We'll begin to cry out to heaven as never before because we know that when we pray, great things and mighty things will begin to happen. We need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And there ought to be, and this is what we need to pray for, and the Lord is working on me, that I will have at some point down the road a series on the gifts of the Spirit because we need the gifts of the Spirit in operation. We need to see God do great and mighty things, not so that we can say, well, it's happening at Praise Tabernacle. No, it's not that, but for people's lives to be changed, for people to hear the word of the Lord and see the great power and manifestation of his glory in our midst. So what is the purpose of the baptism in the Holy Spirit? What is the purpose? Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, I just read it. A boldness to witness. Jesus said you're going to receive power after the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be witnesses. We need a fresh baptism so we will not cower in a corner. You know, the culture is so bold and brash about their proclamation of how they hate anything Christian and how, you know, it's that, that was for the 50s. That was for a long time ago. This, you know, things have changed in our culture, and that's no good for anymore. No, brothers and sisters, if we are full of the Holy Spirit, we can stand. Remember Peter, how when Peter was, you know, before, before the baptism in the Holy Spirit, remember what this guy did the night Jesus was betrayed and he was taken away, how Peter cowered in a corner when three people, 
people confronted him and said, you were with him. You were with Jesus. We know that you were. And on the last occasion, the Bible says he called down cursings upon himself to somehow try to prove that he wasn't one of the disciples. They all knew better. But here Peter is. He's cowering in the corner. He's warming by the devil's fire, getting around those. He he wants to be close to Jesus, but not too close. Now, all of a sudden, in Acts chapter 2, we see in verse 14 that the Bible says that Peter stood up with the 11 and he lifted his voice. No longer is he afraid. No longer is he cowering in the corner. But Peter is the man who stands up on the day of Pentecost in front of thousands and begins to declare the wonders of what Jesus has done for them. And the fact that what they are seeing now was spoken of by the prophet Joel this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Peter's the one who does it. No longer will we cower in a corner. We'll have power to witness, boldness to witness. We'll have power for service. We'll be able to serve in areas and ways that we never dreamed possible because the Holy Spirit comes upon us. Things that we never thought we could do in the church. Now God will give us the power and the ability to stand up and be counted as those who will serve the Lord with our whole hearts. We have power for spiritual warfare power to fight against the enemy. Listen, brothers and sisters, this is a spiritual battle that we're in. This isn't just some, you know, little, little idea of, hey, let me just, you know, come to church and play church. And that's not what it's about. We are in a spiritual battle for the souls of men and women. I want to close with this. How can I receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit? As I mentioned before, the first requirement is simply to come to a place of repentance in Christ. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and yet you want to receive the power, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you've got to repent of your sins. Nobody is perfect. You see, the, whole, the wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit is He doesn't come on perfect people. He comes upon repentant people. He comes upon those who have reached out for the righteousness of Christ. Who The Bible says, Jesus said, seek ye first his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. I believe with all my heart that the more we reach out for his righteousness, that he will come. So it's received, first of all, by faith. Listen, you don't need to turn there, but listen to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 14. The Bible says, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. By faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. It is by faith, believing in what He has done and what He is going to do in your life. We reach out by faith to receive this wonderful baptism in the Spirit. Faith that the promise is for you. We've got to believe that it's for us. Say, well, in my mind, I'm not convinced. I don't know that it's for today. You can stand there unconvinced, and you can sit there completely and totally unconvinced about the fact that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for today, and you can stay right where you are. There will be no progression in your life. 
There will be no God taking you to a place in him that he desires you to be. God cannot come upon those who are unwilling to receive him. He cannot pour his Holy Spirit out upon the life of an individual who doesn't want him. He won't do it. Remember, it's not only the Holy Spirit and fire, but also he comes as a dove. He is gentle, ever so gentle. And he won't violate your will. If you don't desire to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he will not invade your life. But he will only come to those who believe the promise is for them. Peter said these words, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 39 of Acts 2, The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God, our God will call. It's for you and your children. And for all who are far off, how does it occur? We have to yield our whole being to the Holy Spirit that he might have his way. Just say, Lord, I'm yours. Consecrate yourself to him. Say, Lord, I'm yours. I want to be yours completely. Listen, there can't be anything in our lives that we're hanging on to. You want to hang on to sin? You want to hang on to things in your life that shouldn't be there? You want to drag those things along behind you? The Holy Spirit won't pour, pour himself out upon you. Jesus won't pour the Spirit out upon you. And if you're going to just hang on to those pet sins in your life, you've got to release that. You've got to let it go and say, Lord, I'm going to be yours. I want to be all yours. And I'm here to let you know he will pour out his Spirit upon you and you will will be powerful in your life, powerful to witness, powerful to declare the word of the Lord, powerful to see people's lives change. Isn't it amazing that Peter and John going up to the temple to pray, they're going up to the temple to pray. The Bible says that as they were going up, there was a beggar out on the street. How many beggars do we see out on the streets of Chicago over and over again? How many of us have the boldness? I have yet to have the boldness to do this. Walk up to them and say, I don't have any money, but what I have, I'm going to give to you. It's an, you know, there was, there's this story of, of, of a, a bishop walking with the Pope one day through the Vatican. And, and they looked at all those stately buildings in Vatican City. And they said, yeah, the one, the one bishop said to him and said, I don't know when this occurred. I don't know if it's even real or not, but it's a good story. He said this. He said, you know. No longer can we say silver and gold, we have none. And the Pope looked back at him and said, yeah, that's true. But also no longer can we say what I have I give to you, rise up and walk. We've lost the power. Brothers and sisters, may we never lose the power. So many people are lost. So many people are hurting. There are Christians who are bound. There are people that are living far below what God has intended you to live. And what God desires from every one of us is we will begin to reach out for more. And just say, Lord, I want everything that you have. I want everything that you have. And I realize there are those who are going to throw water on the fire. They're going to say, no, 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 not for today. Not for today. Don't, don't be emotional. Don't get emotional about all that. But listen, brothers and sisters, what I find in the word of the Lord is... It hasn't ended. It didn't cease. God didn't write a chapter 29 of the book of Acts and say, it's all coming to an end. Don't worry about all this stuff here. What I find is 
He desires it for our lives. We need to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And Jesus said, you will be filled. Let's stand to our feet right now.